1: Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
0: Joining us now is a Wunderkind, a political Wunderkind, Mike Cerulli who is not only somebody who has been participating in politics, it looks like, from from wee years, but is also somebody who observes them and comments on them and shares what's going on in politics. He writes a tip sheet for ctcapitalreport.com with their wonderful subscription newsletter. And he is a favorite of our dear friend, Tom Dutchick here on the Lisa Wexler Show of many years. Mike Cerulli, welcome to the show today. Hello and good morning.
1: Good morning, Lisa. It's great to be here.
0: Am I mispronouncing your name?
1: No, you've got it exactly right. Yeah, it's it's uh, not one people get on the first try a lot, but, but yeah, it's exactly right the way you've got it.
0: So, Mike, you grew up in Trumbull, Connecticut, and you are currently covering politics for News Eight WDNA. The way anyway, gives us a half an hour recap every single day live at six thirty here on the uh, here at. Um, here at six o'clock, pardon me, here on WICC. every Before you were new person, tell us about your involvement in politics.
1: Yeah, Lisa, it's great to be here. And I, you know, like you said, I grew up in Trumbull. I uh, have always been interested in politics and in history, uh, particularly the history of American politics. And, you know, when I got to high school, um, I'm 22 right now. I was in high school right around the time, you know, 2016 was happening. Obviously, politics was at the front of a lot of people's minds. During that year and, you know, decided to go get involved and, and worked uh, on very local campaigns, you know, knocking doors, talking to voters, meeting people who were a lot of them running for office for the first time in their lives, you know, after 2016. So, you know, learned politics kind of at the ground level, knocking on doors, uh, went off to college at UConn, stayed involved there, ran the College Democrats of Connecticut, actually. So got got exposure kind of statewide. And, uh, you know, that the, those experiences flowed into a few gigs on campaigns. And like I said, really, you know, learning at the ground level, you know, how politics operates and really, you know, it happens in these, in these neighborhoods. It happens in people's backyards. It happens in, in VFW halls and, you know, in little community centers around the state. And, you know, with this new role at news eight, it's just really, really an honor and a privilege to get to tell that story, you know, to our audience.
0: So, so Mike, you went to UConn at stores for a few years and it said in 2020, when you were only 19, you were among the youngest delegates elected to the Democratic National Convention. So are you an avowed Democrat? And do you do your political reporting from the point of view of a Democrat? How do you view your role as a journalist?
1: You know, so I am still a registered Democrat. And, and you are right. I was the head of the College of Democrats. I was lucky enough to be elected uh, to the Democratic National Convention before i even ever voted in a presidential election. Uh, it was actually the first... Uh, the first year that I was able to vote really in any election, and I uh, was able to cast the vote, you know, virtually that year at the convention. It was during the pandemic. Um, oh, that's As far right. as the approach to, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we didn't didn't get to have a nice <laughs> weekend in mm. Milwaukee, but but um, you know, it was, it was a very cool experience either way. And you know, to your point about you know impartiality and neutrality, I'm lucky at News Eight to be part of a lineage of political reporters that includes people like Jody Latina you know, who came from the Republican perspective, working for Linda McMahon and for Aaron Stewart. So I don't try to hide the fact that, you know, I think people probably know uh, how I'm voting when I head into the voting booth uh, in November. But, you know, when when it comes to the reporting, it really does have to be, as best I can, down the middle, representing sort of both sides of the issue. And I think if you'd ask some of the state's leading Republicans in the legislature, I think they're generally typically happy with how I represent, you know, their positions. And I will just say in Connecticut, we're a heavily you know, Democratic state. You have essentially super majorities functionally in both chambers of the legislature. And a lot of the fault lines that you actually see in this state aren't necessarily between Republican and Democrat. They're between progressive Democrats and moderate Democrats. And those moderate Democrats typically find themselves backed up by the Republicans. And, you know, our friend yeah. Dan Hart Hurst had a very good very good column recently about how those are the fault lines so coming from inside democratic politics i think actually gives me a unique vantage point on some of those debates where you know typically people see things in terms of red and blue in connecticut the divide line is typically between you know a light blue and a darker blue
0: that's interesting and is the light blue less progressive and the darker blue more progressive in the way you're describing that is that what you mean
1: Yeah, that's how I would describe it. And to be fair, a lot of the more what we might call moderate Democrats, people like Governor Ned Lamont particularly, would uh, sort of symbolize those moderate Democrats. A lot of them would tell you that they're not moderate or they're not centrist, but they're actually very progressive uh, because they want to do things like, you know, keep the state's fiscal house in order in order to be able to spend on social programs in the future. But functionally, they run up against uh, the more progressive faction of Democrats and You know, to go back to the year 2020, just to sort of illustrate this for for listeners, you know, the Governor Lamonts of the world would have been people who would have backed President Biden in the primary. And some of these more progressive folks would have been aligned with someone like a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren.
0: Got it. We're chatting with Mike Cerulli of News 8 a 22-year-old crusading young political reporter who writes and reports about what's going on. In your tip sheet yesterday, you did a very deep dive into the contest as to who was going to run against Ryan Fazio for the state Senate district there, which is a hotly contested one as Greenwich over the last 10 years has become more Democrat than it used to be. When I first covered Greenwich, it was uh, it was all Republican, Scott, France, everybody, all Republican, Republican. And then over time, the Democrats made inroads, made inroads. And now it is majority Democrat and minority Republican. Ryan Fazio, the last holdout. Uh, So tell us a little bit about what's going on with respect to that race.
1: I think you just hit the nail right on the head, Lisa, with the the sort of narrative of what's been happening in our neck of the woods in Fairfield County. Obviously, Greenwich, the southern one of the southernmost points of Fairfield County. Um, Really, in the last five years, you've seen the demise of what they used to call the Yankee Republican uh, Mm -hmm. and, and sort of the rise of this sort of suburban Democratic sensibility. Uh, and Greenwich, places like Greenwich, places like Fairfield have really seen a market shift in how they vote. And so down in Greenwich, you have basically three state representative seats, one state Senate seat or one state Senate seat. And those three state representative seats have over the course of the last few years all gone blue. And so, the, as you said, Ryan, uh, who who is you know talking about Republicans, one of the smartest, most capable people you will meet in Hartford, he, he is. Someone who I think is universally respected across the aisle. He is the last holdout of the Republicans down there, and fighting to get the opportunity to run against him are two Democrats. One Democrat, Trevor Crow, ran against him last time, came within 89 votes of, of winning that district in 2022, which as you recall is sort of a you know midterm, so not not necessarily yeah. the best shot for Democrats in 2022. And running against her in that primary is a, is a, is a fellow named Nick Simmons. And Nick Simmons is, is, is notable for many reasons, one being that his family is very prominent in Greenwich. His sister is the mayor of Stanford, and that Senate district has part of Stanford in it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And Nick is also notable because he's the deputy chief of staff to Governor Ned Lamont. And Governor Ned Lamont is probably the most prominent resident of right. Greenwich, uh, politically speaking. So you have this this two way primary between a two, you know, You know, politically and policy wise, you would actually probably say they're pretty similar Democrats in terms of what they'd be prioritizing. They talk a lot about things like abortion. They talk a lot about, you know, a lot of social issues. Um, But but sensibility wise, very different. You have Trevor who's, um, you know, her approach is much more appealing to that suburban sensibility. Whereas Nick makes a pretty explicit argument. He's the deputy chief of staff to the governor. He has the ability to get things done in Hartford. And he's really kind of contrast with Trevor and from my reporting, speaking with multiple people in Greenwich Democratic politics. It would appear as though Nick is the odds on favorite to be the Democratic nominee.
0: Yeah, unless she primaries him and then it goes to the voters and then who knows what.
1: Exactly. And those August yep. primaries can be very volatile because there's low turnout and it really mm-hmm. all depends. Going back to what we were talking about, right. with my start in politics, it, it all goes back to who can knock the most doors, who can shake the most hands. And ultimately turn out the vote uh, in August, which is a very odd time to be campaigning, particularly in a presidential election year.
0: Have you been covering what's gone on with Fred Camillo, who spoke only recently about the rift that everyone has known about and discussed in Greenwich Republican politics, but he's been trying to keep off the radar and be quiet about it. And apparently he felt like he had to go public with his disdain for what's happening, the rift between the Republicans in Greenwich. It's very significant. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Certainly. And, and, you know, Greenwich Republicans have attracted national attention from The New York Times and other outlets for the rifts inside the Republican Party there. I mean, we've talked about the shift in suburbs from, you know, more traditional Republican to more moderate Democrats Uh, As that's been happening, the local Republican Party structures have sort of been hollowed out. And so what remains is a fairly, you know, I would use this word to characterize it. And I think Ryan and Fred would probably both, you know, use some variation of the word extreme uh, to characterize the state of the Republican parties in many of these suburbs. And again, Fred, like Ryan Fazio, Fred Camillo, former legislator, incredibly well respected across the aisle Mm -hmm. and incredibly respected as a first selectman. And you know, also, like Ryan, has sort of tried to stay out of some of those uh, internal squabbles in the Republican town committee in Greenwich. Obviously, now he's decided to wade into it a little bit because he probably knows that they will want to have a functioning a Republican town committee in that town in order to shore up Ryan's position. The town That's committees, true. they are the foot soldiers of the That's local true. parties. And if you have infighting inside those local parties, it distracts attention from Defending, really, the one seat they have left and potentially flipping one of the state House seats that's typically trended more conservative than the other two.
0: You know, it's very interesting. It seems like from the right and from the left, what you have is anger and emotion that dominates over sound governmental judgment and trying to move things along and create spaces where people can agree on what they agree on and put what they disagree on to the side so that at least they can get done what they agree to agree on. And I think that that's what characterizes the extremes in the Democrats and the Republicans, is they just want to be heard and be angry. Hold up.
1: Yeah, you know, definitely, um, you know, we talk about some of the extremes in the Republican Party. These extremes exist in the Democratic Party as well. And they are just as personal and they are just as vitriolic. I'll give you one example. You know, I recently covered a press conference up in Hartford. Uh, There's a group of more progressive Democrats who essentially have pretty fundamental disagreements with the governor over the level of spending proposed in this legislative session. They want to see. Pretty dramatic increases into the level of spending over what the governor has proposed. They held a press conference outlining many of those, you know, increased spending points. And look, all of them are legitimate. They're things like, you know, higher education, mental health. They're things that we could have pretty constructive debates over. Um, but the approach that they took, in addition to highlighting some of the programs they'd like to see funded, were what I would characterize as personal attacks against the governor. Um, you had a state representative from West Hartford saying. You know, the governor is out of touch with working people, um, mm. you know, basically saying he measures fiscal health in a different way. The rest of us measure fiscal health. Uh, you had a state senator from New Haven uh, sort of uh, compare the governor. It was kind of in the room. It was a little bit shocking to those of us in the press corps, uh, sort of comparing the governor to Lee Atwater, who was a strategist for Ronald Reagan, who was known for making some comments on uh, some of the racial elements or potential racial elements of, of Republican policies at the time. And so you have really, you know, essentially people who do reach for the personal weapons in the arsenal. And it really is, um, you know, I find, you know, as an observer, I can't really, you know, (laughs) opine on what I think about that, but I find that most people out in the world that I talk to about this tell me exactly what you just said, Lisa, which is it's gotten too personal. It's gotten too heated. You know, can't we just talk about the level of spending for higher education or mental health? Why do we have to make this a personal argument? for or against the governor or for or against any politician.
0: Well, it's so inflammatory. It's really not, it's not mature. We're chatting with Mike Cerulli. You're only 22. You're more mature than the majority of the people that are, that are doing this. It's, it's immature. You know, it's, it's haranguing. It's name-calling. And you know what? The majority of the American people are so tired of it that they've tuned out and turned off to politics altogether, which is in no one's interest. But that's why they do tune out. They tune out because when you hear this hyperbole and you hear this name calling, you think, you know what? You're a bunch of children, and you're not even children who know how to behave. You ought to just stay in your corner. It's really – it's very uh, – yeah, by know, the way, Mike Sewell, <laughs> you know, today is a very big day in New York because today is a special election for George Santos' seat, and it's happening today in this snowstorm. Have you been following that at all? I know it's not Connecticut, but it's a pretty big congressional seat. People are going to be looking at it. Long Island,
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the George Santos story has been, you know, it's it swallowed up national news, um, and you know, it's interesting. You have actually another example of that sort of moderate divide inside the inside the Democratic Party. Uh, Tom Suozzi, who's who's competing for that seat he's a, himself, a former congressman, uh, he's right. incredibly moderate, and as part of his primary campaign to become the nominee for that seat you know, pretty explicitly said, look, we will not win this seat. And this was his argument, right? We will not win this seat with, you know, someone who's very far to the left. And he's running up against um, a Republican whose name I can't recall right now, but who Mazi, you know, one of the Mazi, central points. Mozzie, of...
0: Pillip. I thought it was Philip, right. but it's P-I-L-I-P, Mozzie <laughs> Pillip. Yep. Yes,
1: Mozzie mm-hmm. yes. Pillip, who is uh, one of the central center points of her campaign is that she's a former uh, member of the Israeli Defense Forces, so you have, yes, you know this national yes. story in the, yeah in the George Santos race, uh, and then you also have you know this element of the Israel Hamas conflict being introduced into it, and then of course mm-hmm. as you mm-hmm. just mentioned, you know one of the key factors in any election is weather, right? Who right. <laughs> you know who who is actually going to turn out on election day, um, right. so it'll be a very close one to watch.
0: It's I think it's going to be really fascinating to see who wins, and it'll be fascinating to see who votes right? I mean, who's who cares more? Who's turning out today? Really? Wow. 2033339422. Uh, We're on the air with Mike Cerulli, who is a News 8 reporter and a young uh, journalist, only 22 years old, who really has his finger on the pulse of Connecticut politics. Before I let you go, and I do want you to become a regular, it'll be a lot of fun to have you on. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, I know that you've been covering as as we have very closely the the Ganem Gomes campaign for mayor of mm-hmm. Bridgeport, and I was wondering what you thought of the latest in the way of the recent skirmish with Miss um, Cooper being arrested, uh, Miss uh, Anita, Anita Martinez's daughter uh, mm-hmm. having been accused of taking absentee ballots out and a clipboard out of. Uh, somebody's hand who was supporting the Gomes campaign, um, and each one of these campaigns having a very different side of that conflict. Uh, What do you you see happening in this, if anything, in this general election that could differ the outcome from the prior elections?
1: Well, I think the key thing for this new general election is that unaffiliated voters will be able to have a say in it. You know, you saw this previous primary, the redo uh, earlier this month, uh, where basically, you know, Joe Gannon, uh, he trounced uh, John Gomes, beat him by over a 1,000 votes. That was an election where only Democrats uh, could vote. Now you have John Gomes squaring off against Joe Gannon for the fourth time, you know, for those keeping track, this is the fourth time these two men have, have squared off. And everyone in the city who's eligible to vote can vote. And the key part about that is, if you'll recall, in uh, last November in the general election, which didn't count, Uh, There was a petitioning candidate named Lamont Daniels who captured over a thousand votes, Uh, sort of in a lot of ways, splitting the opposition to Joe Gannon. Only 40 percent or something like that of people in Bridgeport in that last general election actually voted for Gannon. Another, you know, something like 59 percent that chose either John Gomes, Lamont Daniels or the Republican. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Republican is still in the race, but Lamont has gotten out. So. You know, if you're sort of doing back of the napkin election, math, you would say right. many of those Lamont voters could get yep. picked up by Gomes. And if he's yeah. able to consolidate the anti Gannum vote, he could really have a shot. Um, of course, that's all hypothetical. And, you know, <laughs> we'll have to see again. Turnout will be a big part of determining that race.
0: Yeah, I know, because Lamont Daniels got about eighteen hundred votes and I think the margin of victory was close to thirteen hundred by Joe Gannum. So uh, basically almost every person. Right would have to vote who voted for Lamont Daniels would have to go for Gomes. If uh, Gannon can peel off some of those unaffiliates, he still wins. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah. But that's been quite a race. Wouldn't you agree? Quite a race.
1: It it has been, um, you know, a trial by fire for me as a journalist. It's kind of the first major story I was put on. Um, I grew up right next door to Bridgeport and Trumbull. And I, like I said, I've been involved in democratic politics for the better part of six years now. So I'm familiar with many of, the characters who are in this saga, and, you know, you would always, I will just say, you know, as a Democrat, you know, as someone who used to be involved in Democratic politics, you would always hear about the things that happened in Bridgeport, and you would hear about them with a wink and a nod. You would hear about the ballot queens, you know, Wanda and folks like that, and nobody would ever fully explain to you what they meant by that, and if any Democrat wants to say they didn't hear about You know, the ballot queens or about the the shenanigans that happened at Bridgeport. I would just say, you know, uh, they're probably not being fully truthful with you (laughs) because everyone in state Democratic politics has heard about this. And so to actually see it fleshed out in public, first in the legal proceedings in October and then in the last several months, it playing out in some cases violently outside of polling locations or this recent incident this week, uh, is very fascinating to watch. It's also slightly discouraging because, you know, this is the state's largest city. Uh, there are there are hundreds of thousands of people who rely on the leadership there to, to deliver for them. And they are caught in essentially a series of blood feuds and various schemes to essentially keep their jobs. That's what this comes down to yeah. for many of the people That's involved. exactly in right. They make lots and lots of money and they want to keep their jobs.
0: They keep their jobs in town hall. But- Right. They keep their jobs in City Hall. And as somebody who has been active in Democratic politics, and obviously you were chosen a delegate to the convention, so you're you're an insider. uh, What do you make of the state leadership of the Democrats in terms of they have been criticized for not owning up to the failures within their own party?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. I, I spend a lot of time campaign. I spent a lot of time you know, campaigning around the state with state Democrats, and the bread and butter for most of these people who are, have aspirations for higher office. You've interviewed many of them on your show, Lisa. Is they go to, you know, small gatherings of Democrats in all these towns across Connecticut, and one of the things they always, always talk about is democracy. And they talk about we need to defend democracy from Donald Trump. We need to defend democracy from you know, various people who want to take away the right to vote, you know, particularly in southern states. And, and that's all well and good. You can make those arguments. Um, I find it very, uh, you know, almost there's almost a cognitive dissonance when I hear them talk about defending democracy and protecting the right to vote, you know, on a grand scale. They talk about it. And then you have this very clear cut example in our own backyard right here in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where democracy has been subverted on camera, and a judge has said it is shocking the level to which democracy was subverted. And you have not seen any statewide Democrats really make a substantive statement on what needs to be done there, Um, whether there needs to be more investigations, whether there needs to be federal intervention, whether there needs to be uh, some form of legislation passed to stop the conduct from happening. And I'll tell you, and someone may be interesting for you to have on your show, Bill Bloss, the attorney who represented John. Oh, many Dome.
0: times. We've had Bill on many yeah. times.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I always point to Bill because Bill is a Democrat. Bill is yeah. Bill is one yeah. of the premier Democratic elections lawyers in the state of Connecticut. And he will say it is, you know, consistent and, you know, shocking ballot harvesting schemes that take place in Bridgeport every election, and state Democrats who talk a lot about democracy. And again, those those can all be valid points. We can argue all day long about those. But there is a dissonance between talking about that all the time at the national level, and then essentially remaining silent. You know, there have been some statements, I will say, like Secretary Thomas, you know, probably can't make too much of a statement because of her involvement. Attorney General Tong probably can't make too much of a statement because of her involvement. Uh, there are two senators, one of whom I worked on his campaign, our, our five members of Congress, our governor and lieutenant governor. They can all make statements on this. And aside from the governor, they really haven't. So I would say um, that certainly has been puzzling to me as I cover this as a journalist, because like I said, I've heard all these folks talk very passionately. I don't, I, don't, I don't doubt their passion when they talk about defending democracy on the broad scale, but you know, I haven't really seen the follow through on that And I think that's just an objective observation that you have not seen the follow through on that at the very local level in Bridgeport.
0: Mike Cerulli, what a pleasure to get to know you and have you on. I look forward to having you in the studio. Today was not the day to do it in the studio, but maybe next week or the (laughs) week after we will, and hopefully you'll come on regularly and you'll inform us as this year envelops. We're in the short legislative session, but we keep track of a lot of legislative bills, and we haven't had a chance to do that today, but we will, Uh, and um, we we follow – We follow a lot here on the show, so we're looking forward to having you contribute on a regular basis from News 8. And thank you so much, Mike Cerulli, for being on the show with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. Really a pleasure to be here.
0: Pleasure. Mike Cerulli on the Lisa Wexler Show. We'll be right back.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.